Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series. I'm Murgles. I'm PB. And I'm Acorn. Shall we begin? Yes. 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 All right. So before we dive in, I just want to quickly say that this is a companion podcast, not a watch along. You guys know the drill. So you want to have watched the series, wanting to deep dive more, uh, more theories, more discussion. We've also chosen to run the podcast as more of a conversation between friends. So we each go away with a topic for the week. We've written our own notes and then we come together and share it. Nobody has any sneak peeks at each other's notes or anything like that. That means we won't always get everything completely right, but it should also lend for more surprises. And ultimately, we want you to feel like you're in our living room discussing right along with us. Today, we are going to be talking about Nietzsche in Dark. Oh boy. Bum, 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 bum. Oh boy. So... I'm super excited to talk about Nietzsche, but before we dive into that, we do have some housekeeping. Mm, I would mm -hmm. like to quickly say that we got an email back from Hannah in regards to our last radio wind in, and I'd yeah. like to read it to you too, if that's all right. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah. All right. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, someone's mad. Cute. <laughs> oh, does she want to go for a walk right this second? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. I, so personally when i listen to podcasts and the pets are in the background it makes me so happy yeah. so just <laughs> me championing we'll for just leaving leave that in. in yeah yeah because it's flipping adorable <laughs> so so much opinion yes <laughs> hannah says did y'all realize this was released on a holocaust remembrance day how awesome i thought your discussion was great I think I agree that it just would have been impossible to really give the subject fair treatment in the show. I'm also painfully aware that every show about a white person living in the US, me, fails to acknowledge that it's likely taking place on land that was stolen from someone and quite possibly in buildings built by slaves. Perhaps that is one of the reasons I find Dark so powerful. It does a great job of showing individual experience that cannot be separated from history. And maybe that is the whole theme. We all long for a world without Winden, a world untangled from tragedy. Mm. I just want to send good thoughts your way for all of your creative endeavors. As a person with a job that is anything but creative, financial services, I sometimes worry that art and creativity are increasingly devalued unless they make someone cash. But what a horrible world we'd live in if people were not following their passions and making all types of art. I really admire the three of you for building your lives and livelihoods around creating thought-provoking, beautiful, or just fun works of art. Hannah. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hannah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm really glad that you enjoyed the episode. We tried our best on that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It sat with me for a while after, I think too, mm -hmm. right? Because you, you had edited it and I was like, how was it? Because we do this every once in a while after we've had a very 
vulnerable conversation, or at least I do this. And I say, you know, like when you were listening back and editing that, did I sound like a fucking idiot? Was it bad? <laughs> was I eloquent enough? And Mergs was like, it was really good. Like, I, I feel yeah. proud of what we talked about and stuff like that. And so I was like, okay, she said, you should listen to it. And I went, no, God, no, it'll just increase my anxiety <laughs> times a million. <laughs> Hannah said it more eloquently than I feel like I did. She did it in one sentence. You know, we all long for a world without wind in where a world without that kind of tragedy. The tangle. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Coincidentally, actually, both of those concepts that Hannah talked about in this email, a world without tragedy, and also the benefit and use of art, are both topics that will come up very importantly in our discussion about Nietzsche today. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yeah. Should we dive right in? We should dive right in. Yeah. Okay. Take it yeah. away. Number one, Nietzsche fanboy. Merkel's. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Okay. So I, here's the thing. Yeah. I have some revision to my previous feelings oh. about Nietzsche. <gasps> bum, 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 bum. Okay. Some, not all, not entirely changed, but more balanced. So wait, this means that we can we can share the message that you sent in our chat at yes. seven yeah. this morning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this dramatically for everyone here. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at seven this morning, Merkel says, Kill me. I think I like Nietzsche. <laughs> Please put me out of my misery. <laughs> you have no idea how upset I've been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What is worse than having a staunch, heartfelt opinion and then researching that opinion and having that opinion changed? <laughs> what is more earth shattering? Nothing. Yep. Nothing I would posit. <laughs> I love it, though. And that's why I love doing the podcast with you two, because we'll, we'll, we will all do that. We'll all yeah. look at something and then go, oh, you know what? I changed my mind. And I feel like I don't see that a lot. I'm sure a lot of people do that and are open to that. But with Twitter and all this stuff, I don't see that anymore. I see more yeah. doubling down or I just see that blind like, well, I've always felt this way. I've always believed this. So this is what I'm going to. Yeah. Anyway, I 100% agree. It's nice. Tell us what changed your mind. All right. Well, I think that what we should do is quickly do a short bio on mm -hmm. Nietzsche. Mm -hmm. Then we'll yeah. get into some of the main philosophies that Nietzsche has discussed and written about mm -hmm. and then discuss the ways in which I think they have been funneled throughout into and yes. permeating through dark. Yes. Great. I love this. Today is going to be great. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. So to get into the short bio bit, listen, every single month of the guy's life has been recorded. So I'm going to try and keep it pretty brief, just hitting the main important things. Friedrich Wilhelm Nietzsche, who just went by Friedrich Nietzsche, was a German philosopher, cultural critic, composer, poet, writer, and philologist whose work has exerted a profound influence on modern intellectual history. Nietzsche was born 15th of October in 1844. He grew up in the town of Rocken, which is now part of Lützen near Leipzig in the Russian province of Saxony. He spent his childhood with his... I'm Okay, hold on. He spent his say, childhood with his family. <laughs> oh, just like, who fucking cares? What did he talk about? Like, who cares about <laughs> his childhood and how he grew up? Let's just talk yeah. about like... Well, 
Here's the thing. I would make an argument that Nietzsche's philosophy is incredibly attached to and tied to his experience of life. Isn't everyone's? Yeah. A lot of what he talks about is suffering and happiness and the meaning of life and nihilism, but finding an optimistic nihilism. Existentialism. Existentialism. I will just rail on that for the rest of my life. I'm so sorry. (laughs) What? You You can cut that out if you want. (laughs) <laughs> oh, just this popular YouTube channel came out and was like, I'm a nihilist, but I'm, I'm an optimistic nihilist. And I'm like, that's existentialism. You're an existentialist <laughs> like that exists. Yeah. I'm mostly using it as a term in what we're talking about here, because it is in opposition to one of his original philosophy leaders or friends that he took a lot of his philosophy from Schopenhauer. whose philosophy was very pessimistic and Mm -hmm. arguably pessimistic nihilism. It was nihilistic to a point of straight up depression. (laughs) Like it was basically just the correct way to live a life is to have not been born at all. And Nietzsche read his book and was astounded by it, but really rather disagreed with the statement of that. Mm -hmm. And thus comes a lot of his personal philosophy around overcoming. And the term overcoming is just like really huge in his Mm -hmm. philosophy because it's about overcoming oneself to be a better version of yourself. The ubermensch is overcoming man, overcoming suffering to find passionate happiness in what you have. So he lived a life kind of very scholarly. He was the youngest professor at the University of Basel in Switzerland. He was only 24 years old. He spent a lot of his time becoming friends with big thinkers of the time. He was close friends with Wagner, with Schopenhauer, and he he knew Freud and all that stuff. Just people hanging out with people. <laughs> all the big names in history. All the big names just hanging out. He wrote a series of philosophical novels, his magnum opus, being thus spoke Zarathustra. Imagine writing a magnum opus at like 25. Just kill me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he died at 44. That's true. So he wrote most of his books within one year period. And then he had a mental break. He was originally diagnosed with syphilis, but we don't really know exactly what happened. He spent the following decade just having a terrible quality of life and he didn't write again. When I read that, I couldn't help but wonder what that diagnosis would have been with modern medicine. Yeah. They just say he had a break, like a mental break, and it was never the same again. Like, what was that? Yeah. Well, I wonder because when he was four, one thing that they talk about is that his father was diagnosed with a terminal brain disease and his father got sicker and sicker over the course of a year and died. When they did the autopsy, they found out that a quarter of his brain was missing. What? Nietzsche was very profoundly afraid of that happening to him in his life as well. And once he died, his sister, who was a staunch nationalist, so one thing to think about is that Nietzsche was actually very, very against anti-Semitism. However, his sister was a staunch nationalist And she compiled and published his works after he died and edited them. (gasps) So she edited his works. uh, Will to Power is one of them that became very important to the Third Reich. The concept of an Ubermensch, which Nietzsche originally wrote about being like an overman, like an overperson, how to overcome yourself in the face of there no longer being a god, but that to create your own reason for living in your own value system based on all that stuff. 
yeah. got transported in the Third Reich to being about the Aryan race and the Ubermensch and Germans yeah. being better than everyone else. Yeah. You can also see in a another cool Netflix show that I quite enjoy called The Sinner. All the seasons are like kind of separate stories, but they follow this one main detective. That third season deals with that particular Ubermunch from him. And so it's worth looking into if you're interested and you want to kind of like see how that can be twisted yeah. into something else. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot when looking into Nietzsche, which is where a lot of my dislike of Nietzsche and his whole vibe comes from, is because a lot of his stuff is very egotistical. It's very about self-actualization, but in a way that you are sort of trying to gain power. He has this whole theory about master morality and slave morality. What a bitch. <laughs> Who the fuck takes their dead siblings writing and then edits it and publishes it under their name? Oh, yeah. What a piece of work. She was a piece of work. When he was dying, he went to go live with her and she converted the whole house into like a shrine for him and then would hold parties while he was like very mentally ill and declining. What? Hold people to come and see him. She would have parties while he was like dying upstairs. It was a whole thing. Horrific. And I mean, Nietzsche had a very bad relationship with women. He wrote a lot about how women were trash. He had a lot of conflict with his mom and his sister. Yeah. His dad died really young. He fell in love and his engagement request was denied three times, things like this. So he just had a really bad opinion of women. And unfortunately, so did kind of everyone else at that time. So it's one of those things where it's like, how do we hold people to a standard of today that didn't exist then? But at the same time, like not chill, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the thing is, is that people still follow Nietzsche's writings today. And yeah. the reason why I never really liked him is because a lot of people use his writings to be shitty. Yeah. He was really anti-compassion. He thought that compassion, uh, mercy was all a sign of weakness following this slave morality vibe, whereas master morality was the Greeks and the Romans and how they took over stuff and all that stuff. So it's a it's a real it's a real mess. But jumping into the specific parts of his philosophies that I think affect dark. One of the things that he talks about in his first book, his first book is called The Birth of Tragedy, and he wrote it in connection with his friendship with Wagner. So Nietzsche found in classical Athenian tragedy an art form that transcended the pessimism and nihilism of a fundamentally meaningless world. Mm. The Greek spectators, by looking into the abyss of human suffering and affirming it, passionately and joyously affirmed the meaning of their own existence. They knew themselves to be infinitely more than petty individuals, finding self-affirmation not in another life, not in another world to come, but in the terror and ecstasy alike celebrated in the performance of tragedies. I think of this very much in the way of dark, because we've talked about dark being a Greek tragedy before. Yeah. Yep. And how much, almost this idea that by showing this suffering, we are self-affirming our own existences. Yeah. And they kind of do that a little bit in the show as well, especially if we follow the the viewer line and things like that. And the fact that this whole world is kind of a play. In fact, there's exact scenes that we still haven't visited from Ariadne's thread, right? Yeah. Remember that two hour play? The exact scenes from the same framing and stuff like that are in dark. So there's definite, definitely a correlation between they watch some things on stage in the, in the show 
we are watching a stage play essentially of the show. Tan House has technically created this play. It all leads back. Yeah. And something that really struck me when I was watching through it a second time is, and I don't know if this is founded in anything, it was just a connection my brain made, but Wohler seems to be kind of like a chorus type character mm-hmm. because he's commenting on the world. He's commenting on the relationships in Wyndon yes. and from an outside perspective almost, but he's, it's weird because he's, he's so entrenched in the world, but he doesn't really have a focus other than like commenting on it like a chorus would in a play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a super cool. I didn't pick up on that, but that, so that's super interesting. And he he has both of his eyes in the end, right? Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, super cool. Mm, I'm wondering if that's like unable to see, unable to see the whole, the whole truth and the whole part. He's also the only character that wears glasses. Oh shit! A Tanhouse wears glasses, right? Oh, yes, that's right. Him and Tannhouse wear glasses. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Love it. So, of course, he's also known for talking about God is dead and that we killed him and that we must find a way to fill the vacuum that Christianity has left with new set of values that give us a purpose to living. But I think the one thing, of course, when watching Dark that really hits you is the idea and thought experiment of eternal recurrence or eternal return. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nietzsche sort of said himself, the way he writes about the idea of eternal return is, what if some day or night a demon were to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness and say to you, this life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more. There will be nothing new in it, but every pain and every joy, every thought and sigh and everything unutterably small or great in your life will have to return to you, all in the same succession and sequence. Would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke thus? Or have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you are a god, and never have I heard anything more divine? His idea was basically that through amor fati, fate, love of fate, that You should endeavor to live a life where should that demon come to you, your answer would be, you are a God. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that really struck me is this acceptance that life, let me quote Princess Bride here, life is pain, (laughs) (laughs) but it's a part of life. It's a part of your experience. And so like being able to embrace that and love your life and look to better yourself so that overall, if it were to recur over and over again, it's not a punishment and it's just more, more of like a fact of life. It's more something that you would just go through. Yeah. I think it reminds me of our conversation that we had in the unknown episode where we talked about the experience of perhaps if the show had Ava appreciating and loving whatever time that they had and that repeating, continuing, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like that could be a, a perfect example of the perfect quote unquote outcome of eternal recurrence as as Nietzsche endeavored it to be. But mm-hmm. really I think thematically that is what we were saying in the episode. Yeah. Loving the good with the bad and clinging to your existence regardless of the bad that's in it. Yeah. So Ava and Eret Lux were your God. Thank you for this gift. 
to be able to mm-hmm. have this over and over and over again. And then Adam and his followers believed that paradise only came with the release, right? Like Schopenhauer. Yep. yep. Yeah. He saw it as a curse. Yeah. What's also interesting is the idea. I mean, Nietzsche hated Christianity. And so you see this really close tie of Christianity in the show with what's going on as well. I mean, Noah's a, a priest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so what is the perception of Adam's use of Christianity in that way mm-hmm. with these morals and values? I think it's just interesting because for the reasons why he really hated Christianity, it's funny because he has a lot of followers now of his work that kind of treat it like a religion anyway. So yeah. it could be a commentary on that from the writers like, oh, you know, no matter what, if you have an idea is very powerful and people can follow it to a point where now look, you've got Ava and you've got Adam still kind of, they've got their own religion in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess my question to you two is overall, what do you guys think Dark thinks of these philosophies and how does the show use these philosophies and are they making commentary on them? Does the show pitch a value judgment towards them? Does the show agree with them? Things like that. Something I personally really love about Dark is I think it just, it posits the question. Mm -hmm. I think it's using all of these elements from all over to kind of just explore that in a fictional setting so that you can walk away and go, what do I believe? Yeah. How did that make me feel? Did that make me feel good? Would I be Adam? Would I want my life to repeat? How do I deal with loss? Is that the best way? Not the right way to deal with loss, but the best way for me. Things like that. It's very well done in that I personally don't feel like they are pushing one or the other. Yeah, I agree. I think they present both sides. And I think that actually with the way the story is structured, it's really easy to do that because you have these two camps who believe different things, Mm -hmm. annihilation versus life and repeating the cycle. Mm -hmm. And so actually in a weird way, I think it's leading to this combination of the two how you should value life, but it's also okay to want to break the cycle. It's also not just Nietzsche's work that is in dark. There's a lot of other things and other bits of philosophy that they put in there. So it's really kind of just like this collection of ways to go about life or ways to approach loss Mm -hmm. that I think they blend together that uh, that I quite like. But I don't think that they're specifically making one statement anything other than you should look and think about these things or we should consider. Which I think is what makes the show so powerful because you know how when a show or a piece of media is too preachy and you can feel the angle that they're coming from and you're like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, stop talking down to me or stop trying to force this down my throat. I want to be able to consider the options and make my own decision. I feel like Dark does that in a really good way. Because they're basically just presenting this story. They're presenting these concepts and philosophies and showing you what the characters think about it, but then leaving room for you to come to your own conclusions. Yeah. Or miss it entirely. Or that. (laughs) And just enjoy the story. You could literally just watch that show and be like, wow, this is a sci-fi show and not really pick apart everything that went into it. But yeah, they have bits of karma in there too in the show, you know, like they've got, they've got a lot of different thoughts going on in there. And at first I thought they were going to make a statement. But that end scene where it's Marta again, will they remember us is just kind of that's just such a perfect way of like, did I live the way that I 
wanted to. Will I be forgotten when I die? Those are just such normal things for everybody to think and feel. And I, what a perfect way to kind of like wrap that up. Yeah. And say like, here are all the things I'm thinking about before I die. And here's the last one. Yeah. Here are all the things I'm thinking about during this show. And here's the last one before it's over. You know, that kind of stuff. I think that's, it's, it's really good. What about you, Mercs? Yeah, I think when I was doing uh, my research into stuff, it was very clear the philosophical theories that the show was touching on. But I think the one that really stood out to me was the concept of Greek tragedy and how Mm -hmm. uh, through these tragedies and Nietzsche and Wagner and all these people, it's not just him, but this idea of watching a Greek tragedy and seeing the suffering can create in and of itself the affirmation of your own life. And I felt very much when I read that, that that's kind of exactly what dark is. It is that Greek tragedy. And it was like enjoyable to sort of see it as almost if they were making a nod to Nietzsche in that idea that that's exactly what the show does for people. Um, It is a show about generational trauma and suffering. And it is difficult and painful and familiar. But will they remember us? And then that moment where we know that we're going to remember them yeah, gives us a moment of pause to think about how perhaps we might be remembered or the ways in yeah. which our lives will, will matter in the scope of things. So, yeah. Something that struck me, and I don't know if I'm off the mark with this, but when I was reading one of the passages in uh, that document you sent over, PB, mm-hmm. it kind of struck me as sounding karmic in a way because it's this whole like, your life is what you make it kind of thing. And what you make of it could come back to you and come back on itself. Did you have that impression? Oh, yeah. A couple of moments I sat back and was like, did he suddenly become aware of this philosophy like around this age? Yeah. Which is funny because hearing now that he was, what, 24, 25, I'm like, oh, yeah, that clocks. (laughs) You know, uh, that, that, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, it did make me pause and wonder if he had been exposed to those kinds of philosophies at that age. It happens a lot in Dark where they talk about the trauma that you're going to inflict will then repeat back or just what has happened will continue to happen. The generational trauma and also just if you put good into the world, you can expect to receive good back. Yeah. And that is very, very, very karmic. And also just the lesson that you will still receive not great things or things, not great things will still happen in your life. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you are bad. It's how you deal with it and how you move forward and how you treat those around you while that is happening to you, which I think is a really interesting principle that they kind of flirt with a little bit in dark. Mm -hmm. A lot of that goes out the window for me with Katerina Mm. because she, she still ends up suffering but then we see alt world Katarina. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, okay. Yeah. They still flirt with that quite a bit. Yeah. The um the excerpt, I, I want to read it just to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. give everyone a chance to like think this through with the quote. And we'll put the we'll put the article in the show notes because yeah. it was very, very good. It was a good read. Yeah. So acceptance of this doctrine of the repeating afterlife then forces the believer to live by Nietzsche's values and defines those values. As a personal experience, such an acceptance brings with it the flames of a hell of eternal despair to those who know themselves damned in their weakness, but as it did to Nietzsche, the greatest joy to those who know they can live joyously in this life. In a weird way, this kind of feels like a wrapped package of all these different philosophies. Like, 
Yeah. Life is what you make it. If you think positively, positive things will come to you, which is very karmic. Or the unknown will just uh, grab a wire and choke you to death in the middle of your office. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I think also one thing that I find interesting about applying Nietzsche's philosophy and perspective on on to dark obviously like there's influence there but I don't think that it's it's not as if the creators were like let's make a show for Nietzsche but one of the things is that I think Adam is a perfect example of actually the falseness of what Nietzsche endeavored yes because Nietzsche was very much about like we must become ubermensches we must become masters powerful egotistical self-serving compassion is weak. The things that Christianity tell us about being charity and kindness and humility, all of that is weakness. And it was weakness defined by people who were weak and they created a God to feed them their weakness. And the real people who are going to move us into the future are the master morality like the uber mensches, the egotistical people who go after what they want, who live dangerously, who are not nice, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that really, really resonates to some extent with Adam because we don't really see Adam's humanity anymore. He just does stuff. I think that, yes, he's very tired, but I think he's still compassionate. Yeah. Which is so weird because I know he does some very horrible things, but I think he's, I really do think he is trying to free everyone from this prison. The problem is not everybody sees it as a prison. Yeah. So in that way, I do feel like he is like, oh, we're all trapped and you just don't realize how trapped we are and everything's just doomed to repeat itself and we don't really get to make decisions because determinism is something that isn't really hasn't been touched on yet yeah but that is something that is very very prominent in the show and prevalent in Nietzsche's work is that idea that everything is kind of predetermined and not necessarily destiny in the Christian sense or like you you know you have a path set out before you by another being like God but more in that everything that has come before led to this moment so that only you you could only make this choice everything that happened to you in your childhood has led you to this moment so that when you are presented with these two decisions you will obviously always make this one and but that's because everything that came before you right yeah in some ways it's like you know that takes away that idea of free will that you know i can make whatever choice whenever and they explore that a lot in dark and and that is something that i think is interesting to look at when you're looking at the philosophies as well. Mm -hmm. Not to derail the conversation, but it's funny that we're talking about Nietzsche now because as I've said before, the last time I really looked at Nietzsche was college. Mm -hmm. And at that time I was reading about a lot of different philosophies. I got into Ayn Rand for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh boy. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the time periods, but I'm wondering if if Nietzsche came before Ayn, if Ayn took some of his philosophies of what you were just talking about, Mergles, with the Ubermensch and the lack of compassion and all of those things and really ran with it, because that's very much her philosophy of objectivism. The the individual should exist for his own sake, neither sacrificing himself to others nor sacrificing others to himself and that self-interest. And also just that people are that way, right? That's her big shtick too, right? Like that if you peel away all of the layers of the onion, your motive is Mm -hmm. always self-serving. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nietzsche definitely also has that. And his, his theories, essentially, what he dislikes about Christianity is that he believes that humans are inherently selfish, 
jealous. Yeah. And that when you're giving to charity, you're giving to charity because of the reward that you get. Yeah. The yeah. acknowledgement, the fact that it makes you feel good to do a thing yeah. is the only reason why you do said good thing. Yeah. And that by agreeing to or believing in Christianity, you are disbelieving in yourself. And that part of believing in yourself is accepting these traits of being a dickhead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only reason I really got into Ain at the time was that concept of being self-interested, of doing things for your own self-interest, like resonated with me after being mm -hmm. shit on my whole life yep. with abuse and being controlled by other people. I was like, fuck yeah, I do want to have some autonomy and like do things for me. Whereas now yeah. I see almost like an evolved version of that where, yes, you should put yourself first and you should take care of yourself, but not at the expense of others. You should still have compassion for other people and help them where you can. But boundaries are such a huge thing. Yeah, You can love someone without condoning their behavior, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's like interesting because one of the other things too to remember is that like Nietzsche came from a very well-off family. And even though he did experience some troubles in his life, he got full scholarship and went to private schools and like was a professor super young and mm -hmm. he got to travel all over the place and was very well regarded and stuff like the in terms of his personal level of suffering and like struggling, <laughs> like he wasn't yes. exactly like abused or held mm -hmm. captive anywhere. Or, like his suffering was that women would say no to his proposals you know and then he just wrote a bunch about how women are the worst so i think the other thing too is that like there is he's correct there is real suffering but it's not as if his philosophies can apply to everybody who's experienced that real suffering he didn't experience that real suffering i mean he did eventually later you know and yeah everyone has run-of-the-mill suffering and there's no i guess i don't know yeah, it's also difficult to compare suffering for yes, people exactly. who, like, that was his whole world. So for mm -hmm. him, being rejected proposal was probably everything to him or just whatever. So I would have been very interested, had things been different, to see what he felt at 50. Yeah. yeah. Or how he changed. Because a lot of his philosophy reads very much as that, like, 20-something. Young anti-society, you yes. know, where you're kind of like... The world is broken when you realize that and then go, well, why isn't anybody fixing it? Yeah. I wouldn't follow advice from a 24-year-old. I wouldn't follow <laughs> my 24-year-old advice. Yeah. I mean, there are some things where I look at and go, yeah, that's right. But now I can add some other wisdom to it or I can just add mm -hmm. my life experience to it. And I feel like that's kind of what Dark does a little bit and explores these ideas and then puts real stories in there so that you can kind of look at it through that lens as well. Yeah. Yeah. I should say also one interesting thing is that the start of his mental break and his decline and collapse is often told that he was in the street and he saw a horse being whipped by its owner and he mm. threw its his arms around the horse to protect it. And that was like what started his mental decline and, and mental break. And so it's almost like he spent his whole life talking about not being compassionate. Yeah. And yeah. all this stuff. And then like the last thing that he did as a sane man was to protect this horse. Wow. And, you know, I, I think a lot about the fact that he did write a lot of his stuff. So they think he had syphilis, but we don't really know what was going on in his mind. But one of the things that happened to him later on was that he became a megalomaniac. Like his friends 
talk about how he has this megalomaniac, egotistical, like I'm God sort of complex come up. Yeah. So it's not a far stretch for me to throw that stone of like, okay, as we start to see that entering his writing, like how much of that was his mental illness? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there is that. And I think that's kind of like a side note, a side conversation of recognizing that a lot of these philosophies that we read in life are coming from people who live lives just as we are, who are certain ages, who've gone through certain life experiences to come to a point where they've created this philosophy. I mean, what you were just saying about how he wrote this in his 20s, like, my God, I remember my 20s. And it was very much this recognition of, oh, God, the world is broken. No one's fixing it. Yeah. And then kind of rejecting all of the things that you've been taught and coming up with this new detached philosophy a little bit of outrage yeah yep. exactly yep. Yeah. and so like i think it's it's always important to remember context yeah and i think that's where we're really going with this because you're right what if he hadn't had a mental break what if he lived on into his 50s how would his perspective and his writing have changed through his continued life experiences alternatively what if it's a mental break and it was now and we had the ability to look at it and go, okay, here's some medication. Here's like therapy. Here's all this stuff. Right. And he went and lived through that mental break. Yeah. Yep. And was like, I'm wrong. Compassion is important. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate the compassion. Well, that's the other thing is that he was not really treated with a ton of compassion when he was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially from his sister. So his sister sounds like a monster. I'm saying that without much horrific, without knowing much, but my God, she was definitely, I don't like to use this term, but she was a piece of work. Yeah. <laughs> all in all, though, I think like my feelings towards Nietzsche still sort of stand at the fact that like, yeah, he said some cool stuff. He said some interesting things. Mm-hmm. The ways in which he his legacy has uh, was unfortunate in the sense that he didn't have a lot of control over it, especially after his sister rewrote a bunch of his stuff and released it and, and this nationalist anti-Semitic bullshit mm-hmm. and yeah. you know like he's obviously not responsible for that but yeah yikes like i don't want to talk yeah. about him with any anyone <laughs> like i don't want to end up like in a bar with a dude <laughs> like, yeah because it's not that's always the same <laughs> yeah <laughs> like do you have yeah. a che Guevara poster on your wall you're reading nietzsche i spent my morning listening to godspeed you black emperor in honor of yep. this personality mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 oh man I think ultimately his philosophies and the way that they're examined in dark is super interesting. And I think that the show sort of stands as a great reminder of many philosophies and it is a Greek tragedy. And to some extent, when looking at it through that lens, it can be considered a little gift, a little life affirming gift by the creators that they gave us that we could enact out this nihilistic existentialism you can break your own cycle of trauma or you can break your own cycle of yeah yeah it it really does feel like it's hermetic message hidden saying you know you can do it you can break your cycle you can look at the world differently determinism fucked me up when i was younger yeah 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 and it still does to this day sometimes i will go back and think about it because i don't know where i fall on that the idea that everything's a little bit chaotic or if really truly I would make the same decision every single time I was stuck in a simulation and like would I make the same choice every single time probably it kind of comforts me when I think about it a little bit 
the idea that that stability that comes from me, you know? But it's not coming from you. It's coming from everything that led before you, some stuff you had no control over. Yeah, but like, but that is me. The stuff you had no control over or just... The way that I came out of it is me, like the way I was shaped and formed mm. by it. So it's like, if that never happened, that I wouldn't be the me that I am now. I wouldn't know the person that I am. I've actually, honestly, I've thought about this so much because my mm-hmm. dad died when I was so young. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, what if he hadn't died when I was seven years old? What if I had had a father who loved me and took care of me? Yeah. All of the, because my mom would tell me all the time that I was this very like, outgoing child I would like you know sing and dance and whatever and then after he died and I went through the stuff with my stepdad I became a completely closed off different person and that just continued so it's like the person that I would have been had my dad not died and I'd gone through all that stuff I don't know if I would even recognize her I don't know if I would even like her when I think about the stuff that I've actually learned from my past that has made me the person that I am if I hadn't Mm -hmm. learned those vital lessons I'd probably be someone I wouldn't be friends with. That's a weird thing to think. But also in that respect, I feel like I'm on the same page. I look back at the things that were not in my control that happened to me. And for the most part, I can say, yes, those bits of tragedy were good for me and they shaped me into who I am today. There are some things I feel like I could probably do without. Of course. But ultimately, it's it's the... It's the future bit, I think, that weirds me out where I think about all these things that I care about or all these things that I want to affect and change and do. And just this idea that like what I am doing is going to ripple through time in a way that is going to affect other people. And that freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. You know, my simple decision, it's that whole butterfly effect sort of, but not quite so tiny as like being late for getting your cup of coffee then makes the other person behind them late and then they lose their job. You know, it's not quite like that. It's more like, you know, the decisions I'm making to move or stuff like that, that is going to affect everybody else around me in a way that they will only ever be able to make a certain decision. It's just a very weird web. Yeah. It feels like in a, in a weird way. And Everything is connected and I love those feelings, but some days they give me like a little bit of panic. And I'm also just not sure if I believe that. I'm just not sure if I believe that I could only make one choice given everything that's happened before me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. You know, what's been giving me peace and comfort recently Mm. on that topic is the short story, The Egg by Andy Ware, which we we talked about recently. Mm Mm-hmm. For those who haven't seen it, I highly recommend either going to read it or going to uh, search for it on YouTube. A channel called Kirkizak does yep. a really great video of it. There's a couple different versions uh, from different makers, but the concept behind it has actually given me some peace recently because it takes out the the foreign qualities, I guess, of the the unknown of not knowing how your actions will affect other people. Yeah, that sort of thing. And that that is actually, it's a very interesting take on eternal return. Yes. And also just that whole like karmic idea as well. So yeah, it's 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 very good. And the evolution of the soul. Yep. Ooh. Well, that yeah. was awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of great topics. Yeah. Um, for those who, who don't know where to find the show notes, we have some really great stuff that we're going to be linking today. So if mm-hmm. you head over to geekgeneration.com slash dark slash show notes, you'll be able to find all these great, PDFs and links and YouTube videos and all of the stuff that we talked about today. 
Yeah, I'm going to be posting a documentary, a BBC documentary about Nietzsche for people to go and watch if you're interested. Yeah, cool, cool. So I don't like Nietzsche. I like some of his ideas, some of them, not all of them. (laughs) Yeah. But if I were to be forced to be in a conversation about Nietzsche by some dude in a bar ever again, I would probably not hate it as much, though I would still never see that dude again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great rap right there. (laughs) Shout outs. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Peeps, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Pumpkinberry or PB or Peebs. Uh, You can find me all over the internet at Pumpkinberry usually or some variant. So you can go to twitch.tv slash Pumpkinberry. That's where I am live. A lot of you have come in to say hi. It makes my day. So you can do that. You can also find me on Twitter at Pumpkinberry. And I do a lot of weird storytelling over at Table Story. And you can check out my work there. And that's either on YouTube or Twitch and also the website tablestory.tv. And you can find links to all of the crazy stuff I'm up to at pumpkinberry.tv. <laughs> you say weird, I say phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, you just finished up a show and it's yeah, incredible. Oh, yeah, thanks. it's a Rebrum project. Last round table. Oof, yeah, yeah. Go check that out. Man, that was fun. Acorn? I'm Acorn or Acorn Bandit. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit and also on joysons.com where I make enamel pins. Um, you can also head over to joysons.com, J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com slash pages slash acorn for a list of all of the links to my stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm Mergles. I am a storyboard artist and animator. You can check me out on my Twitch channel, Mergles. I stream Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays animating. Currently, I'm doing rough animation on my short film, which is right now called Moss. So if you're interested in how animated films get made, you can come check me out. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Of course, if we've missed anything, you can tweet at us individually. You can tweet at Radio Winden or use the hashtag DarkCompanionPod, or you can email us at DarkCompanionPod at gmail.com. Of course, special thanks to Johnny Caballero for letting us use the beautiful cover art. Thank you, Johnny. Thank Thank you. Thank you. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny Knight. That's spelled J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. Big thanks as well to our friend Zakotakis for editing this episode. We are also proudly part of the Geek Generation Network, and you can find more awesome podcasts related to cool nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you so much for diving into Dark. We will be back next Thursday with... A Radio Winden, a very special Radio Winden, mm-hmm. where we will be discussing our bombshell of an episode about the unknown. <laughs> we have gotten a wonderful email scolding us a little bit about our unknown episode. Mm-hmm. And we've got some other emails in defense of the unknown. So we'll be digging into that. Peeves is already so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay. But I fucking hate that character. So I'm just excited to hear what you all have to say. And tr- I, I promise no peeking. I haven't looked at anything yet. So perhaps he will be the Nietzsche of Dark. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I made a face for those listening. <laughs> but after that episode of Radio Winden, our next mm-hmm. schedule, scheduled episode is... Charlotte! Charlotte! I'm so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye. Bye. Bye.